Computer, initialize Holosuite. Holosuite Media. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Random Trek Review. It's the podcast where we analyze, discuss, and review randomly selected Star Trek episodes. My name is Andrew, and I am joined by my good buddy, Matt. But uh, this week, Matt is actually being controlled remotely through a uh, psychedelic uh, brain-controlling device. So, uh, Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, although uh, that last uh, Batleth uh, thrust kind of almost took my arm right out of my socket. So, uh, Mr. Worf needs to take it easy on me here. I'm not in, I'm not in tip-top shape, necessarily. No, exactly. I was thinking that your Batleth skills were kind of uh, a little bit uh, better than they normally are, you know? So, uh, I, and I knew something was awry, for sure. Anytime I'm swinging around a big heavy sword like I know what I'm doing, I think you should probably be a little suspicious. Yeah, so I mean, speaking of Batleths, um, Batleths is actually the thing that uh, you're going to be ranking me out of this week. So uh, tell me how I made out on my recall for the episode Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places uh, and give me a score out of uh, five Batleths. Okay, you. I think you got this mixed up with the uh, the episode that this is a sequel to, which is the House of Quark. Um, but fortunately for you, a lot of the same characters and elements kind of show up again. So um, you mentioned basically you did a pretty good summary of the House of Quark, where you know what happens in that episode is Quark accidentally kills this Klingon, and and it turns out that uh, he ends up having to like marry this this Klingon's uh, wife and becoming the the leader of her house sort of on like a technicality and then he gets sort of drawn into this feud with her her family so you talked about how he had to go to Kronos and and he had to do all this like legal jargon and and so on and he gets involved with this Klingon woman um the Klingon woman part is right you mentioned a few other other things uh that that sort of turn up in this episode just sort of like little things like you said it would be kind of a comedy episode and this one definitely had some funny points to it you mentioned the the, the Klingon woman that is in this episode. Um, so I'm, I'm going to give you a score of three Batless out of five. Um, if you'd drawn the House of Quark, you probably would have gotten five out of five because you, you summed it up pretty well. Indeed, yeah. So uh, excellent. You know what? I'm going to take that. This is kind of one of those DS9 kind of really strange two-part kind of episode that was split over multiple seasons you know like um it's kind of like a little mini arc that they they tied in and i think they did a good job of making you remember um that particular episode because i feel like it was just kind of like a one-off and then the fact that they kind of drew back to it was um was kind of fun and it's kind of interesting to see so this is uh deep space nine uh it is uh Season 5, Episode 3, Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places. It aired way back on October the 14th, 1996. Um, it was written by Ronald D. Moore, and this one was directed by uh, Andrew Robinson. Uh, I never knew that uh, Andrew Robinson actually got into directing. Did you know this, Matt, or did this kind of surprise you as well? It surprised me that it was this episode, but I knew that he had directed a handful of Star Trek episodes. Yeah, I think the other two that he did were Voyager. I think. Yeah, no, when that came up, I was because I was kind of expecting it to be 
you know, the special guest appearance by Andrew J. Robinson, but then it was directing and I thought, oh, it's, uh, that was kind of like a bit strange. I mean, I guess the other kind of thing that's strange is that Garrick's not even a guest star in this episode. Um, we do get Rosalind Chow as Keiko O'Brien. Uh, Mary Kay Adams is back as Grilka. Joseph Ruskin as Tumik and Phil Morris as Thopak. Yeah, I don't know. Kind of an interesting thing. I feel like we talked about directors like a couple weeks back and I think that we maybe had missed him because maybe we were talking about main cast members doing directing, but uh, kind of a nice little piece of trivia there. If you didn't see this episode, uh, this is, of course, the sequel to the episode House of Quark from a couple seasons back. Uh, this is the episode where Grilka returns to Deep Space Nine, who, of course, is Quark's ex-wife, uh, much to the chagrin of Mr. Worf, because as Grilka enters the station, Worf becomes immediately smitten with the beautiful Klingon warrior. So as the episode progresses, it turns out that not only does Worf kind of have feelings for Grilka, but so does Quark. And this kind of leads to Worf in maybe the most unworf thing ever, actually helping somebody else to uh, gain <laughs> some benefit and more surprisingly fact that it's Quark. But he basically goes through the, uh, you know, the, the ins and outs of Klingon dating and Quark spends the episode learning to fight and learning to date the Klingon fashion. Kind of a little side secondary story. We've got uh, Kira is pregnant with O'Brien's uh, child. What? Uh, yes, this of course is from when Keiko O'Brien's baby got beamed into Major Kira. So Major Kira is living with the O'Briens and that is creating a very strange love triangle between the three of them. That eventually ends up with uh, Kira and O'Brien falling for each other. I think we're going to have to talk about this one, Matt, because this is something that I did not remember. They kind of fall for each other, but then they decide to go their separate ways, uh, as does Quark and Grilka. So it's a it's a love story episode, but it doesn't really end with anybody matching up in the end. All right, Matt, this is kind of the section where we kind of go back and talking about our overall impressions and our first thoughts and stuff. I think everybody kind of accepts now that, you know, at this point in time, you were a big Deep Space Nine fan and that, uh, you know, you're catching up with all these things weekly. Did you remember that they had done this kind of sequel episode to the Grilka arc? Um, and, I mean, do you have any kind of thoughts just kind of overall from this being an episode to do a sequel on i don't know what your thoughts on house of quark are but maybe it's kind of a good opportunity now just kind of talk about what you think of a that storyline where quark gets married and then the fact that they brought it back do you think that, that was a good idea or do you think this was kind of maybe one of those things that they should have just kind of put on the back burner and just never mentioned again um this one actually stood out quite a lot and i did remember that there was like kind of a sequel to that whole house of quark thing yeah like this is one that i definitely remember pretty clearly that you know she came back and and you know her and quark had this little thing and then he ended up having to fight her like bodyguard or whatever so um yeah this is one that definitely stuck out to me when i when i first watched it and when i've i've watched it since and i you know i don't mind that they brought this back because it was such an odd thing to have a ferengi and a klingon together even though it was more done out of convenience in the first episode so um yeah i thought it was kind of I, I had no problem with them bringing it back and doing a second episode to kind of tie it up a little bit yeah it's actually kind of one of the ones that i maybe forgot remember we talked about marriages last year when we did 
cordially invited. And I think that last September we also did a thing on the blog about like the top weddings or the top marriages that they had done on Deep Space Nine. Do you think that Quark's marriage to Grilka is one of the ones that is kind of forgotten? I mean, it's definitely not up there with Riker Troy or Worf Jadzia, but I feel like this is actually one that a lot of people might just not even remember at all. It definitely stands out for me um, because the circumstances of it in the first place were a bit ridiculous and a bit odd. And then you get this kind of second episode where they actually explore them having an actual relationship a little bit and then it kind of goes away. So it is one that I definitely remember and it definitely sticks out, but maybe not because it's so great, but just because it was so unusual. Yeah, do you think this is a better episode than House of Quark? Like, you don't need to kind of go into too, too much detail, but do you think that this one, as much as it kind of has some jokey things, is kind of maybe played for a bit more serious? I think they're both pretty good. Okay. I think they both have good moments, and I think the premise of each of them is a little bit outlandish, but I tend to be drawn towards sort of oddities and weird circumstances in general and in Star Trek as well, so I, I, I certainly don't have a problem with, with either of them. Yeah, now the interesting thing about this story is that it's actually like almost a straight ripoff of a play that is called Cyrano de Bergerac. Like it's one of those things that you would never know unless you went kind of digging into it. But essentially there's this play where this exact scenario happens. There's two people that are buying over the the same woman and, and one kind of concedes and, and maybe kind of like helps the other person to, um, you know, seduce them or to woo them, uh, similar to what we get here. This isn't really anything that's that surprising for Star Trek. Star Trek kind of tends to, you know, recycle old ideas, use biblical stories, use lots of different things. Um, but I wonder if maybe this is kind of the reason why this one has a, has a little bit more kind of depth, but also maybe why it doesn't necessarily fit with Worf's character. Because that was one of the things that I kind of felt was that this does not seem very Worf-like. It definitely isn't Worf-like. I think I wrote that down at least two or three times that like, wow, what is Worf doing here? This is not something that he would normally do. So yeah, I, I think that's definitely the reason for it because they, they I guess Ronald D. Moore who wrote this, you know, drew inspiration from this play. Yeah, it was definitely, there was definitely a lot of weird wharf moments in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I think it's one of the, these, I mean, we've said it a million times, but it's also another episode that Armin Shimmerman loves, of course, right? Because it's a Quark-based episode. <laughs> but not only that, there apparently he did almost all the stunts. Apparently he was like practicing at home and he went through, uh, you know, kind of intense training to actually be able to do the battle of fighting at the end, which I mean, I mean, kudos to him. The fact that he does it, I think is maybe one of the reasons why you get a lot of face on shots. You know what I mean? During that fight scene, it's, it's a little bit more in your face, a little bit closer. A little bit... Like those original series episodes where you get like the camera shot from like 20 feet above and it's like if you look really carefully it's like uh that guy that's supposed to be kirk has like curly hair <laughs> yeah. and like <laughs> yeah no you're yeah i was pretty impressed when i when i read that that armin shimmerman did a lot of the the stunts and a lot of the fighting scenes and and i mean that's sort of typical of what like you hear all kinds of stories about how like like i remember reading that when whenever there was like a really big Ferengi episode that had like Nog and uh, Rom and you know his mother and or whatever he'd always have them like over to his house you know beforehand and they like practice the lines and stuff and that's why they those scenes tended to be really really good because he would sort of put in that extra effort and so 
you know, this this totally makes sense for for him. He's I think he's got a bit of a reputation of being a, you know, putting in that extra extra work and extra effort to make things really really good, and it certainly showed through here. Definitely. All right, Matt, let's take a uh, bite out of looking for Parmok in all the wrong places. It's kind of a weird episode title. Do you think it's like a little bit too cheeky, a little too on the nose? It's obviously a play on looking for love in all the wrong places, but I don't know. Deep Space Nine kind of does this a lot with these super long episode titles. This is the longest of the Deep Space Nine titles. I don't know if you knew that. I didn't know that, but yeah. Do you like it as a title or not really? It's okay, but it is a bit long. Yeah, it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit wordy. It doesn't fit nicely into all of our uh, documents that we need to make for this podcast. So slightly, uh, <laughs> slightly annoying. We'll have to make sure the title of the podcast itself is also like super long. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Just, just for you know, just to piss off our our listeners a little bit. <laughs> right. So this is an episode where we have two completely different story arcs we can start either way but they kind of both start together oddly because we start with quark and O'Brien, sorry quark and bashir and they're listening in on the trials and tribulations of the kira o'brien keiko pregnancy angle uh one thing i love 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 about this opener is the fact that we get that continuity of the fact that quark because he has giant ears has like excellent hearing abilities and he can actually hear through the wall just standing in the corridor he doesn't even need to put his ear up against it or anything i i loved that it didn't really seem to me like bashir would be the kind of person to eavesdrop but i guess you know it kind of sets up this funny little opener um that was really weird like what was he doing there in the first place and then he's all of a sudden he's like sneaking up. He's like putting his hand ear, hand up to his ear to the door. Like what was he doing? Like that was kind of creepy, if you ask me. Well, I think that he did mention at one point that he was just like worried about his friend and was gonna like check in on him. But then when he heard them arguing, I guess he just kind of was listening rather than than doing anything else. Okay, I guess that makes kind of sense but yeah i think that was more just to kind of set it up and they also kind of i think wanted to introduce both halves of the story and this was probably the way to best do it because it introduces the quark element and then on the flip side you introduce uh you know wharf and jedzia are having a nice lunch or breakfast or whatever it is and in comes grilka and of course because it's a klingon woman wharf is basically got his tongue hanging out the side of his mouth and then the big reveal that it's not just any random Klingon woman, it's actually Quark's ex-wife. Dun, dun, dun. And we hit the credits. What were your thoughts on, um, on Worf's half of the opener? Well, it's interesting you used the word smitten to describe him earlier on when you sort of ran through the synopsis. Because that's the exact word that I used when I, when I wrote it down. And yeah, he was like just... Dax was like, and it was interesting that Dax is talking about all these like Klingon traditions and, and whatnot, um, or, or, or stories. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was something that like Worf should have been very, very interested in. And then all of a sudden he sort of like looks away and he can't, he's not paying any attention to Dax. And, and yeah, it was pretty, he was definitely, uh, taken with, uh, with Grilka. Yeah. I mean, this is also where we get the first, um, kind of inclination that, Worf is basically he he has Parmok or he has a case of Parmok I think Dax says um and is this the first time that we hear this word or is this something that is in a lot of episodes 
I don't, not that I can remember. Okay. So I guess, yeah, and they basically just say, like, Parmok is almost like, uh, it's kind of almost similar to, uh, like, you know how in the, with the Vulcans they go through the Ponfar? It almost seemed like they were trying to make a Klingon version of the Ponfar. Is that how you took it or no? Well, maybe a little bit, but it's it's not like a biological thing like it is with the Vulcans, so it is a little bit different. But I think I think maybe in the sense that they're trying to attach a word to it or a, fr- or a term to it that's you know specific to Klingons. I guess it's kind of the same in that way. Right, and you do because I think I think I think uh, Cisco like asked about it right in that one scene in Ops, and he's he says, "What are you What are you talking about?" And they said, "Well, it's the Klingon word for love, but with more aggressive overtones." Right, and he kind of jokingly says, "Like I hope it's not contagious." Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty good. Yeah, that was a good line. Cisco's only line in the whole episode, I think. Yeah, he's definitely, uh, you know, he 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 got his paycheck for the week and then was out, right? Yep. So, uh, no, this is definitely a Quark-centric episode with a sprinkling of Worf, we'll call it. Do you think that uh, the Quark-Grilka relationship is uh, realistic? Do you think that this whole kind of, not love affair, but this kind of dating or courting is is something that's kind of believable? I mean, we maybe are going to always side with Worf, who, who thinks that, you know, it's just ridiculous, you know, and Worf's always kind of got that little bit of racism where he just calls him like the Ferengi, like, oh my God, this is just ridiculous. But um, I think that they did a pretty decent job of making it maybe believable that these two could maybe have something just because of their past. Well, the only thing that kind of was odd is that they never explained why she came to the station other than so- Quark like sat down with her and was like, I assume this is a, you know, social visit or whatever. And I mean, is she just coming to the station to like hang out with them or or what happened that's the only thing that about it that kind of i'm i was struggling with so there's that weird scene where she basically says that she's like maybe run into like some financial trouble and so she is going to get him to look through the books or something well yeah and she was even like reluctant to let him look at it because she was she she eventually said well if it'll make you happy she wasn't too keen on him going back and doing all that like legal stuff like he did the last time so but she let him do it anyway just to make him happy so i I don't know if maybe there was like some sort of communication that was going on that we just don't know about because we don't see it that caused her to come and be like hey quark let's like hang out yeah it's uh it's it's definitely the the whole episode has this kind of feeling of like it's really good don't get me wrong but there's there's some interesting pieces that are kind of hard to to kind of to deal with because you know, you have Worf not really acting like himself. He he's cringe this whole episode. Like it's almost painful to watch in certain instances, especially when he breaks into the thing and he like flips the table and he he goes on this like big elaborate kind of show of whatever. Like that was so cringy it was almost unbearable. Uh, but then you've also got like Quark. I mean, Quark isn't your typical Ferengi, but we have constantly seen Quark follow some of the more traditional Ferengi beliefs on women and kind of their 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 role in society like he's never been one who's been very respectful of women but in this particular case he he seems to have 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 kind of not even softened but just kind of ignored that ferengi you know feelings towards women and i mean i did i think they did the same thing with rom as well later but i don't know did you think that that was kind of strange that they they ditched that whole uh, underlying piece or is it just Ferengi women that they keep under wraps 
Well, I'd like to go back to Worf's little show that he puts on in Quarks. Like, doesn't that some doesn't that remind you of something you, that like you do as a teenager, like to impress you know a, a young lady that you're interested in? You know, you do something that's completely out of character or completely out of your your element just to like because you think that it will try to impress her. That's sort of what I thought when Worf put on that whole show, and I thought it was kind of funny that that. Uh, that sort of older Klingon took him aside and basically was like, what are you doing? Like, what are you trying to do here? You're putting on this big show. Like, like what? Like just, you know, it's not going to happen. You're dishonored. Your, your name. I think he even said your name is a curse. Like, just don't even try. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty funny that he kind of just shot him right down. It's, it is. Yeah. Worf definitely is. He's like the sulky teenager in a way. Cause there's even like that, those scenes where he, he's like, he lives on the defiant for like reasons that are never explained but like he he lives on the defiant and he just like sulks around the empty ship like listening to Klingon opera and stuff it's like that's totally something a teenager would do like just get in a van and just like you know drive <laughs> around like you know park it down by the beach and just kind of like live uh, off the grid like that whole thing is so weird to me like what if they ever had to go and go somewhere like Worf just wouldn't have anywhere to sleep like he just like basically wait on the promenade for them to come back like that whole thing is so cringy and so cheesy like you're right he has so many immature qualities and i think that they've always kind of had this underlying thing where it's because he was raised by humans so he never really he only kind of half understands a lot of the klingon traditions and a lot of the stuff and that really shines through in this episode there's definitely like uh, feeling like he just is not really a true Klingon as badly as he wants to be. He just never really is going to fit in. The other thing that's even weirder than him living on the Define is the fact that Quark is allowed to just like stroll around because there's one scene where Dwarf and Dax are in the mess hall and Quark just sort of wanders in. It's like, wait a minute, how did you get on that Starfleet ship? And then there's the scene where Worf is listening to his opera on the bridge all by himself and, and Quark just strolls in and he's like hey Worf I got this uh problem you want to help me with it and it's like wait how does he have how is he able to get on the Defiant which is like this you know highly you know secure high security like warship basically like how did he just like is he just allowed to do that yeah it's like you or me going down and like just like getting on like a battle cruiser down at like the uh the harbor you know like just strolling in <laughs> like oh hey guys how's it going yeah, I need to like talk. I need to talk to your uh, commander. Can I just like wander onto the bridge? Yeah, sure, no problem. You know, <laughs> there's no. The key, we didn't put the keys in the ignition. Like it's a, it's in the visor above, so it's all good. You know, just cruise on. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, this is yeah, man. It's such a weird episode. Not to, I mean, I think maybe this is a good time just kind of like swing the swing the conversation the other direction because the other half of the story is the Miles Kira. Keiko relationship in the first half and man it's really strange as well like it's it's I I see what they're trying to do but it's just it doesn't fit with with any of these characters I don't think so Miles is now basically treating Kira like a second wife Um, there's even like this weird scene where he's talking to Bashir and he's like uh, oh when I was helping her out of the tub and like even Bashir like in characters like wait what uh that's a bit strange isn't it like accused him of taking a look i thought that was kind of a questionable uh thing to be uh accusing him of <laughs> yeah and miles is like we're adults we have like a close uh relationship and stuff it's like uh i don't know it's that close like 
he's always massaging her and rubbing her down and stuff. It's like, this is just so bizarre. Like, I don't even know really why Kira necessarily had to move in with the O'Briens. Like, I mean, I get the idea behind it, but it's like, it's not really the kind of thing where, like, she needs constant care, is it? Or, like, am I missing something? Like, I kind of feel like she could just... You know, the O'Briens could meet up for the prenatal appointments and the Le Mans class, but to actually have her move in and be getting massaged and things, I kind of feel like it's not really necessary. Yeah, it was, I don't know if that was fully necessary either, but yeah, it was, it kind of created this odd, unusual dynamic between them because you've got, you know, Keiko's there and Kira's there and the, the uh, their kids are there like it was just uh, yeah it was very strange this whole store like b story was a little bit was a little bit odd um but it was it made for some very interesting moments like you remember in the infirmary Bashir's like giving miles all this like medication or whatever and <laughs> miles like tries some of it and he's like are you sampling all of her medication yeah it's like that's probably a horrible <laughs> idea um and there's a lot of uh yeah there's like a lot of things in the episode where you know, you get the idea that, you know, Miles is the overprotective dad. Like, you know, he's really worried about the unborn kid and stuff like that. But it kind of morphs into something that's, like, borderline sexual, I guess. Like, and they, they, they realize it, too, you know? Like, there's the scene where he's giving her the massage and he's talking about how he hasn't been to Ireland in forever. And then she's like, ooh, I could spend weeks in Ireland with you. It's like, oh, wait a second. <laughs> Maybe we shouldn't be thinking these things or saying these things out loud. And, like, Keiko's in the other room, like doing dishes or something it's uh yeah it's such a bizarre episode and i mean i think that the one thing that i would take away from all these different things is that it's not necessarily for me like this is not kind of my favorite kind of episodes but i can see the appeal right this is kind of taking star trek into a direction that's a little bit more soap opera e let's say uh just with kind of like all the intermixing relationships and 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 just kind of these dynamics that you wouldn't normally see people in. Like, I think that they're trying to do something here, but it didn't necessarily come off the way that they wanted it to. Yeah, I'm normally not a big fan of these sort of romance episodes, but this one actually, because I think because it was kind of funny at times, I think it's one that I actually kind of like. If I had to, like, choose, like, one or two sort of Star Trek romance episodes, this one might be up there because it was actually pretty funny. The, there's one... one thing that i really liked and that was that scene in the uh in odo's office where like he's trying to like he's like all frustrated because there's all these thefts and i guess he was trying to say it was o'brien's fault and then kira like stands up for him and then odo's like trying to make sense of it and he's like she's like oh i feel like i'm part of the family and and he goes uh which part <laughs> and she, it was i thought that was hilarious that scene even though, I mean, that's really, I think that's the only scene we get with Odo in the whole episode, but I thought it was really funny. And he has that line where he's like, I didn't realize that the chief had become Miles. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, so let's kind of swing back to Quark and his successful date with Grilka. So it is, it's kind of too bad we don't get to see this, or at least I, I kind of felt too bad that we didn't get to see it. Uh, but essentially on... Worf's advice 
uh, Cork takes Grilka out for a nice evening and then we kind of get the the next day recounting of it and it sounds like everything goes uh, very well. Do you kind of wish that we maybe had less of the O'Brien stuff and got to see the date or do you think that this kind of fits more in line with the whole soap opera thing where you, you see them going off on these adventures and you're just getting the uh, the recounting of it from Quark, or you're getting the, the backstory afterwards. Do you think it works better this way? I think it was okay the way they did it. I mean, if we had gotten these, like, clips of Grilka, you know, recounting her glorious family history and, and all that, I, I don't know if it would have been all that interesting to sit and watch. So I, I don't mind doing it the way that they did it, where you just sort of get, you know, Quark gives them the, the you know, two-minute recap and we're sort of left to imagine what it was actually like yeah they do a really good job on recaps actually because there's a time earlier on in the episode where dax basically sums up the house of quark for the audience that didn't remember that episode or forgot it so uh, i think kind of the same thing here he sums it up and we don't need to see it and i guess the whole thing here is that it's more about the relationship between quark Worf, and then jadzia i guess to a certain extent and and they're kind of working together right like this is the only time i can really think of where Worf is legitimately doing something nice for quark without anything in return it's kind of nice to see we always talk about how Worf is the deadbeat dad and he's got all these kind of problems but this is this is different this is nice i like the uh i like the different side of Worf that we get for this episode even if it doesn't fit character i, I think it's kind of a, a nice change yeah, it's, uh, it's nice to see Worf being a nice person for once in his life, uh, instead of just thinking of himself like he usually does. Uh, so, yeah, it was, and it, I mean, to be, for him to be helping Quark, of all people, like, there, there, I don't know if there could be any, you know, two characters in a series that are, like, more opposite than uh, than these two. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of neat to see Worf being, uh, being a little bit altruistic. Yeah, and I mean, I think that the, the, I mean, not to give away the ending, but I mean, the ultimate thing is that he does something nice without asking for anything in return. And then, of course, the, you know, the capper is that, you know, he gets, ends up with Jadzia. So it was like, this is, you know, he, he does something nice for, for no benefit, but then he gains something because of the fact that he did something nice or, or what you know what i mean like I, i'm not really wording it the way that i want to word it but you, you get what i'm saying is that he was so kind of obsessed with grilka he doesn't see jadzia like the whole time and it's kind of interesting because we got cordially invited last year and now we're kind of seeing where that butted and i forgot that it had kind of been this long like this is pretty uh pretty kind of early on in this season and they don't get married until into the beginning of season six so yeah a nice change for Worf let's say because I'm not a big Worf fan and so I think that getting to see this other side of it and also having Quark be the viewer or seeing things from the viewer's perspective he calls out lots of times how ridiculous these Klingon traditions are and how 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 insane it all is right um and it's kind of nice to see that as well you people have a rituals for everything except waste extraction was the line <laughs> that Quark used, which I thought was hilarious. Yeah, it was it was nice seeing Worf do something nice for a change. He he certainly he certainly uh was like full into it too. Um, oh definitely. It's not like he was just like, Oh yeah, just try this or say that. He was like, Okay, this is what you do. Here's how you do it and like put it all out there for Quark. Like you know, he he made it almost idiot proof to 
to you know get him get get War- or Quark in the good books with uh, Krilka. And we have, I mean, I guess we have seen this because I think it's in the episode Lower Decks, not the show, but the episode Lower Decks, doesn't Worf take one of the Lower Decks guys kind of under his wing and teaches her like karate or like Klingon fighting and it's kind of, you know, he doesn't need to do it. He's the senior officer, but he does it because it's the right thing to do. Like, isn't that one of the side storylines in Next Generation? He kind of did it to teach her a lesson because like she was, she was being treated like, you know, Picard was doing it for a reason. Right. Like he was kind of, you know, being very hard on her. And she wasn't really saying anything about it. So Worf Pushed know, her. does this whole thing where he kind of says, like, he, he gives her this this challenge or whatever, this fighting challenge that he makes up, which wasn't real. And it was completely unfair. Like, there was no way she was going to succeed. And... You know, he he knocks her on her ass a few times, and then finally she's like, "How am I supposed to do this? Like, you know, this isn't this isn't fair. This isn't possible." And he's like, "Oh, okay. Well, maybe next time, you know, it won't take you getting knocked down a bunch of times before you stand up for yourself and say, you know, oh, you're not. This isn't fair." So yeah, he's he's kind of done things like that here and there, but generally speaking, he's not really that he's not really that that you know nice of a person. So they decide that they're going to basically train Quark for this death fight that's going to take place on a Federation space station, which I think you have to just ignore, correct? Like, it's going to be a fight to the death, and they're going to do it in the hollow suites on a Federation station. This is definitely not going to uh, fly if Cisco finds out, but whatever. Um, I do love Quark's Klingon attire. He's kind of got, like, the white with the the fur and everything. Yeah, I wrote down that I loved his his fighting outfit too. Yeah, I thought it was very, it was kind of Klingon esque, but not like it wasn't like outright body armor. Or whatever. Right. Yeah, it was it was nice actually. I think I like this one way better than the stuff he wears in House of Quark. Like in House of Quark, he wears the traditional Klingon stuff, whereas this is kind of like his own flair, which kind of fits more with the character because Quark is very you know, showy with his attire. So it kind of like transcends into his Klingon attire. So I did like that. And so obviously he's not going to be able to learn to fight in this short a period of time. And so they come up with this harebrained scheme to use this device <laughs> where Worf is going to use it. Now, I think that this device would probably have been useful in a lot of episodes, although I think this is the only time we see it. Uh, this brain connecting fight thing, you know, I kind of feel like you know, Voyager probably could have used that when they were fighting the rock and stuff, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's interesting. What do you think about this big fight scene, uh, to the death and they're going to do it for the, for the love of Grilka? Well, it's, I think it's interesting to note that the Klingon who challenged him and the bodyguard was actually played by Phil Morris, who is Jackie Childs from Seinfeld. Is it really? Oh my goodness. I didn't know that. It is. I was like shocked when I saw the name at the beginning and, um, so that's an interesting little note. I thought the fight, uh, it is a little bit, you do have to give some latitude about like, oh, are they really going to allow these, you know, these two people to fight to the death on the station? Maybe not. But I think be, for me anyway, like because of the the episode is pretty good, you can kind of look past those things. And, and even you can even say like, well, you know what, it's a Klingon tradition. So, I mean, they have to respect yeah, but they... the tradition and, and even if it is potentially going to be fatal, you, you just kind of let it go. Yeah, but they did already have this with Worf, in fact, on Next Generation. Remember when 
that Klingon came and he wanted Worf to kill him in that like cr- traditional Klingon ceremony with the like dagger. I think it was I can't remember the name of the episode, but then they they ruled that like you just can't kill somebody even if it is tradition. It goes against the Federation laws. So I don't know. I think I'm with you though. You have to kind of just let it be and kind of yeah just ignore it it's not what the episode is about right it's it's more about uh this kind of fight for uh supremacy but then what do you think about the conclusion though because i mean Worf helps quark fight it off you have like the 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 typical thing where the machine breaks and jazzy has got to fix it and everything but quark has to like improvise on the spot and and manages somehow to stay alive long enough for them to fix it <laughs> so then he, he fights him off and he goes down to one knee and he gives the bat left to grilka but then we we kind of end up like are you, are you sad that they don't really end up together like after going through this whole rigmarole wouldn't you kind of feel like they would be together for a little bit well, we know there's some like shenanigans afterwards because they show up in the infirmary later and they're all like yes. battered and bruised and you know that there's been some like funny business. But um, it is kind of disappointing that it ends there, that you don't really see any more of this kind of storyline. It's never mentioned as far as I know, yeah. Yeah, it's not really, they don't really talk about it ever again, I don't think. And it would have been nice. I mean, Deep Space Nine tended to pay more attention to you know, the the ramifications of previous episodes. Um, so, I mean, it's disappointing that uh, it's not brought up again. So, Grilka and Quark get together for a little bit of loving. Uh, Worf and Jadzia get together for a little bit of loving. And then we cut to uh, the runabout, and uh, Kira and O'Brien are on their way to, for a, a beautiful, uh, romantic getaway on Bajor. Um, are they? Aren't they? And, of course, they don't which is probably for the best really strange i never thought over the course of the the episodes beforehand uh that this was something that we would ever see but uh here we are what are your thoughts kind of just to to su- summarize the o'brien kira romantic i don't even know what to call it endeavor uh very awkward that scene in the runabout it was it was so awkward because they're like they're standing there they're like okay i, I guess we're gonna go. <laughs> do this yeah, like and then and then you know kira kind of makes it sound worse than it is you know it's like oh this uh this house the you can see the river from every room in the house it's the nighttime it's so it's like the most romantic place on all of beige or like why would she want to go there by herself yeah retreat in, I in guess. the first place and then Miles finally just is like, okay, forget it. I'm not going. He just like grabs his stuff and just storms off. And then there was this weird part where he's like, um, you know, may, may, maybe it could have worked. And then <laughs> Kira's like, in another lifetime or something like that. And it was like, what? Was there ever like a thing in the Mirror Universe where those two were together or something? And that's kind of like a hint towards it. I don't know. Like, I don't think so. No, no. Such a bizarre ending to such a bizarre episode, really. Um, it's it's definitely kind of daytime TV-ish, but it has its certain charm. And I think that for an episode called Looking for Parmok in All the Wrong Places, it fits the bill, doesn't it? The only real relationship that ends up working is the Wharf-Dax one. And even at the end of this, it's kind of left almost like it's just going to be kind of maybe a one-night stand. or it, it, You don't know that they're going to really be together. It's It's kind of, you know left ambiguous at this point so um yeah i think that uh they do they definitely kept the namesake for 
the episode title. And now that we've kind of talked about it, I feel like it fits a lot better than maybe I thought at the beginning. Yeah, the Kira O'Brien thing definitely fits with the title, I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Matt. I mean, I guess the most obvious character to start with uh, in this episode would be Grilka. Do you kind of wish that maybe she had showed up more often and frequently? Is she just kind of a generic Klingon woman? You know, like, what are you... It's kind of a weird one. I feel like Grilka is actually kind of very similar to Worf's wife, like Alexander Oshenko's mother. Kind of similar to, uh, was it Cirilla that we saw in Cordially Invited? There's similarities with all the Klingon women, and I would say that Grilka kind of fits into that. Where does she fit for you? She's kind of uh, in the middle. Um, Cirilla, which we talked about in Cordially Invited, she was very stern, very not likable, uh, took things very seriously. And Kalar, who was Alexander's mother, who was like Worf's, uh, you know, on again, off again, love interest early in Next Generation, she's like the complete opposite. Um, I think because she was part human, she just didn't care about any of the tradition and she just couldn't be bothered with it. I feel like Grilka's kind of in the middle because she, you know, she seems to kind of adhere to tradition a little bit, but she does kind of have a, a softer side as well that we see in this episode where she's able to kind of joke around and, and uh, you know, have fun or at least to make, you know, maintain the appearance that she has fun. So I, I actually kind of liked her as a character as far as like, you know, falling in the middle of the road kind of. And, um, I thought it was nice that we got to see her a couple of times. You know, might have been nice to have a little bit more uh, of her turn up later on and see where this thing with Quark went. Yeah, the, the Klingon women are, are interesting for sure. I mean, the other ones that kind of draw to my mind are kind of like Laurel in Star Trek Discovery. Like that for me would kind of be bottom of the barrel. Uh, I think that uh, the Duras sisters, which we saw last season, uh, is kind of another great example of strong female Klingon characters. Um, but I mean, there's actually not that many, surprisingly. Like I kind of started digging around and looking for, you know, Klingon women that have popped up in Star Trek and there's not really a lot and they kind of always do have a very similar mold. And I would say that Grilka is probably one of those ones that I kind of like the most. Like they, she would be kind of in the top for me just because she's definitely Klingon, but it's not like to the T, if you, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, and I think that uh, because they gave a little bit here and, you know, took a little bit there, it makes for a character that, yeah, is, is, is just a, is different enough and, and, and kind of takes this episode, which could very easily be just a joke episode, and, and turns it into something a little bit more. I, I thought she was really, cool, really good in this episode. Yeah, I mean, I guess other than than Grilka, the only real kind of guest appearance would be Rosalind Chow as Keiko. And we've done the Keiko thing before, right? Uh, she's popped up in episodes here and there and, and, and everywhere. But what are your thoughts on Keiko in this particular spot? It's a very weird spot for her to be in where she's basically not really playing the jealous wife, but playing kind of the oblivious one maybe yeah maybe oblivious is the term she was hardly in it like she was in like what two three scenes and didn't really have a lot of lines so i, I mean she was there she sort of was part of the episode but but not really integral and we don't really see anything significant i don't think i think that keiko o'brien is probably one of the characters that appears the least and if you were in a 
you know, a Star Trek bar, like a Quark's bar playing Star Trek trivia or, uh, you know, you're trying to make some money uh, on, on a little kind of piece of, of trivia, I feel like you could probably uh, make some money on the number of appearances of Keiko O'Brien. Um, just for fun, why don't you try to guess how many total appearances across all the different Star Trek shows do you think that Keiko appears in? Hmm, that's a good question. I'm going to say, I'm going to say 12. Uh, that's pretty close to her Deep Space Nine appearances. She appears in 19 Deep Space Nine episodes and 8 Next Generation. So 27 total. And I kind of primed you up by saying that, uh, you know, she's she's not in that many. And I mean, that's quite a few. But if you actually think about the fact that she's O'Brien's wife and that he's a main character uh, on... Deep Space Nine, that kind of isn't that much, is it? Out of 175 Deep Space Nine episodes, no, it's like barely 10%. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. Um, I think that, you know, Rosalind Chow, she kind of had a, a career outside of this as well. So uh, it's one of those things where, you know, she kind of pops in and pops out. And she also did spend a lot of time uh, on Bajor, right? Remember, she kind of took the botany job there. Uh, so they always kind of were looking for reasons to kind of write her out or write her off. So uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't have much to say about Keiko. I know that she gets a lot of hate on the forums and on the online and stuff like that, but I never really had any trouble with Keiko. I think that she's a satisfactory character. And in this particular episode, it's nothing too, too crazy or exciting, but she she does the job. She has her moments. I mean, we we reviewed was it the collaborator? Is yep. that the one with the school bombing? Yeah. Uh, she no, was... that was uh, Hands of the Prophets. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Another switcheroo, as I'm prone to, <laughs> to doing on this show. Yeah. No, that was one where she was really good that we've we've looked at previously, but not really much here as far as I I'm, I'm concerned. She was there. She was there. I mean, I guess in the other they were there character you know category would be the two goons i'm gonna call them uh thorpok <laughs> and tumek i can't remember which one was the old guy and which guy was the young guy but um i don't know that it necessarily matters i think the young guy was thopok and the older guy was uh tumek so they're kind of like the handlers uh, of uh the house i guess or or they were kind of there like the bodyguards i'm not really sure exactly what they were supposed to be or who they were supposed to be. Well, Thopak, I think, was supposed to be like the bodyguard. I don't know. He basically did what he was supposed to. He was just like the muscle, the intimidation guy, and the one who's going to challenge Quark for dishonoring the house. And that Tumac guy, I thought, was maybe supposed to be like kind of a like an elder figure kind of guy who's supposed to like just give her advice and, and you know, share his wisdom. That's sort of the impression I got, but nothing really noteworthy about either of them. I mean, they did their jobs, and uh, I mean, I guess the the scene where Tumek took Worf aside and was like, "What are you doing? Like, why are you trying to show? Why why are you trying to like show off for this for Grilka here? Like, just go away." That was kind of funny. Yeah, and there was the big fight scene, which I think we both agreed was was pretty good. So, I mean, it could have been any generic Klingon guy, but it was this guy and. It might have been maybe a little bit far-fetched, but it, it, it was serviceable, let's say. So I think that, uh, yeah, all in all, the, the two goons, 
I mean, they serve their purpose, but I mean, this is all about Grilka. This is all about that kind of relationship. Flipping over to some kind of like trivia bits and just kind of some interesting things that we came across. Uh, you mentioned Jackie Childs from Seinfeld uh, earlier uh, in the show. Um, there is another line that screamed to me uh, Seinfeld, and I wrote it down immediately, and I'm very curious to know if you wrote down the same uh, thing that I did. So you're either going to know it straight away, otherwise I'll give you a hint and uh, see that you uh, see if you came up with it. A Seinfeldian line from a the episode? A Seinfeldian line. It's actually a an exact line that appears in both shows. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about when Quark was like, war, what's it good for? <laughs> exactly. Absolutely not. Yeah, okay, yeah, you're right. That is from Seinfeld, except um, Elaine delivered that line with, with much different uh, with more panache. enthusiasm. <laughs> That's where he got the name for the book. Absolutely nothing. Ha! Um, yeah. And then our org- pocket organizer was like thrown out of a window. And... <laughs> I knew that you would pick that up as, as soon as I heard it. I couldn't believe that they said it. Maybe maybe Phil Morris was like, "Hey guys, like, uh, throw this line in; it'll be good." Yeah, this will get a laugh with a you know? with a smirk on his face, you know, the whole time. Yeah, uh, it's I don't know, it's uh, I, that just caught my ear. Um, this is the longest title uh, of all the Star Trek episodes, um, and the longest in Deep Space Nine. Um, sorry, third longest. Third longest. You're right. Now you said that it's you said it's the longest, but it's the longest Deep Space Nine episode um the two longer uh one was from the original series for the world is hollow and i have touched the sky uh the second longest is from star trek discovery season one the butcher's knife cares not for the lamb's cry and then this one would be the third longest which is kind of a cool little uh piece which you already mentioned this is from a famous country song called looking for love it's from like the 1980s so they just replaced love with Parmok, which is kind of an interesting little kind of tidbit. And then, yeah, there, there wasn't a whole ton of other stuff that I that I noted. I mean, uh, not surprisingly, Jake Sisko is not in the episode, so that's not really uh, new, noteworthy or newsworthy these days. <laughs> We've had a few of those. I mean, Joseph Ruskin, who played Tumek, he was in a an episode of the original series, if you can believe that. Hmm. I mean, he is pretty old in this episode, so maybe it's not yeah. so hard to believe. He was also in an episode of Voyager and an episode of Enterprise. So he was like, you know, if he had appeared in Next Generation, he'd have like the complete set. Yeah, you know what? It's They do love that they're, you know, they do love to kind of go back and use the same of, uh, you know, those same guys over and over and over again, right? It's uh, it's It almost becomes kind of like spot the repeated character. And it's really hard in Star Trek because of all the makeup and the, the masks and everything else. But, um, yeah, they definitely have these kind of go-to guys that they have on set, you know. And uh, the Vaughn Armstrongs of the world. And they just bring them in, you know, in the clutch and, and they kind of pop up all over it. I feel like, yeah, it would be a really cool feather in your cap to have appeared in every series. I don't think anybody has, but it would be really cool. One other piece about, I know we've talked about Phil Morris a lot. You won't believe this. I actually only discovered this today, and I don't know how we missed it when we did Miri way, way back in our first, uh, I think it was like what the, one of the first 10 podcasts we did. Mm-hmm. Phil Morris is one of the kids in that episode. Really? Was he John? No. <laughs> there's, a, there's a kid that was wearing like an army helmet, like a big green army helmet. And that's him. That's, apparently that's Phil Morris. Yep. Wow. And he was probably about 12, 
12 years old. Man, that guy's been hanging around Star Trek sets for like as long as he's been alive. It's you know, it's hard, hard to believe when you th- when you know we you and I were big Seinfeld fans, so we know him as Jackie Childs. And right, yeah, he's been around forever. I actually might go flip Miri on and just kind of see if I can see the resemblance. You know, it's like in the eyes or sometimes in the nose, you can kind of see certain things. But not that I really love that episode of Miri, but I might go and just kind of <laughs> check it out for that. Uh, I mean, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, you know, we looked for Parmok in all the wrong places and, you know, we found some laughs and some good times here, but I think it's time to settle ourselves off into the sunset. What are your kind of overall thoughts on this particular episode? Is there anything that sticks out as kind of like a a classic line or a funny moment? Uh, And uh, give me a score out of, let's see, five Klingon ex-wives. (laughs) <laughs> okay as far as memorable scenes or lines um there were two lines that i wrote down one of them was when uh dax and Worf are talking about uh how Worf has a bad case of par mock and cisco like walks in and he goes is that contagious and then like tosses the baseball to uh to dax um but the but my favorite line i think i may have already mentioned it but uh when Quark and Worf are sort of talking about all the like rituals and all this stuff that he has to do, he goes, you people have rituals for everything except waste extraction. I thought that was a great line. And very true. So those are my, uh, my, my lines for the episode. And your uh, final thoughts on, on the episode as a whole. Um, I thought it was a pretty good comedy episode. I thought it was pretty good overall. I always remember this one as being kind of that I didn't like as much, but I think maybe now that I'm a little older, I do appreciate it more and I do like it more. Uh, we saw some interesting like Klingon courting rituals. And so we get sort of another little look into what life as a Klingon is like. Um, the only thing that I kind of didn't like is some of that Kieran O'Brien stuff was a little bit awkward and, and not, not great. Um, it was kind of an interesting idea to maybe have this, potential for them to like fall for each other but it didn't really work all that great i mean it led to some some interesting scenes but generally i didn't really like it that much but uh i i I thought this was a pretty good episode and uh i'm going to give it uh four x klingon x wives out of five i uh I, i don't know i really liked it watching it this time around yeah, I don't think I like it as much as you. I think that it's it's a decent comedy episode. It is an episode that is is definitely watchable. Um, I think I like it more than House of Quark. House of Quark kind of went too far for me. Um, and I think that although House of Quark is the more memorable of the two episodes, this one is, is probably a little bit better. I think the characters are all good and the performances are all good. Um, the forced stuff between Kira and O'Brien is cringe maximum. Um, the relationship between Worf and Jadzia kind of like maybe balance that bad stuff with a little bit of good. And then I think the middle stuff, I guess like the tiebreaker with uh, with Quark, it's, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where... Like, Klingons aren't for me, you know? Like, I can totally see people loving this and thinking it's the greatest thing since sliced bread, but it's just not really, like, the thing for me. And because of that, I think I'm going to give this one three out of five Klingon ex-wives. And as cheesy as it is, I think my favorite line for this episode is actually going to be a line that I love from Seidfeld as well, uh, and a line from a song that I like as well, which is, War, what is it good for? 
Absolutely nothing. All right, Matt, that is the sound that you dread the most. It is, of course, the red alert siren indicating it is the end of the show, sadly. Uh, and it's time to pick a fresh episode for you to uh, try to recall. Now, uh, we have, uh, yeah, we've kind of gotten off to a, a good start here, season three. Uh, do you have any kind of preferences going forward or any kind of uh, series or anything that you're maybe itching for? I'm feeling like a classic. Okay. One that we can just sit here and talk about for like hours. Okay. Like not that we will, but uh, like the cow, just is the cow chud of so episodes. Just so good. Okay. Yeah, just something really good. Yeah, I feel like uh, we've had a couple of those last season, and I feel like uh, I, I'm always down for an episode that I really don't need to complain about. You know, for a Star Trek podcast, I think that. You know, people love Star Trek. They're coming here to listen to, you know, us like it. And so it's a lot better for everybody for when we all enjoy it. Now, that being said, I feel like you're being a little bit selfish here because if it's a classic episode, that means that you'll probably know exactly what happens and all the nitty gritty pieces. So uh, let me just dig into the cloche of episodes here. I can assure you I'm asking for that strictly for our listeners' sake. For your listeners' sake. Okay, let me... Okay, well, I definitely think that you're going to get this one. This is an episode I've seen really, really recently, and it is an episode that will, will resonate with Matt straight away, I'm pretty sure. It's from Star Trek Voyager, which Matt is a big fan of. It's uh, Season 6, it's Episode 23, and the episode name is Fury. The episode's name is Fury. Now, Matt is going to uh, take his pen and pencil here. He's going to jot down some ideas and some thoughts. He is going to have 60 seconds to come up with as much stuff as he can for the episode called Fury. Uh, if you're playing along at home, it's not as easy as you think. And if you are an honest person, you could even jot down some of your ideas and leave it in the comment section below because uh, we would love to get some feedback from you. Or you could email it in at randomtrekreview at gmail.com. Uh, all right, Matt, are you ready? I think I'm as ready as I am going to be. Okay, my friend. Uh, you have 60 seconds on the clock and it starts now. Okay, uh, this is an episode where uh, Kess returns to Voyager, uh, and she is, like, really enraged about something, and she has these, like, wild, crazy powers. Like, she, she, she flies in in this, like, alien ship. She beams on the ship, and then she's, like, walking through, and things are, like, blowing up all around her, and they can't stop her. Um, but I don't remember what it was she was, like, after um why she was there she got she was just like upset with them over something and she came to like take her revenge i think it's because they like left her behind uh i think she got mad that they just sort of let her disappear and so she came back to like take revenge on them but i don't i can't really remember anything else about it i just remember that like opening scene where like their bulkheads are all like blowing up around her yeah, I mean, I mean, you got it. Um, whether it's a five star out of five star, well, you'll have to tune in two weeks time to see. But yeah, the, this is definitely the big return of Jennifer Lean in uh, Voyager, and of course, you know, I think everybody was 
super excited to see how they were going to integrate her back and how she was going to react with seven of nine and, and you know what's this whole thing going to be about and yeah my memory of this one is is kind of like i was so excited because i knew that she was going to come back and it's just a story i think that you've pretty much got it there's i think maybe a little bit more uh to be unearthed in that episode and so if you would like to kind of uh learn the ins and outs of why they decided to bring her back and what that was like that could be some chilly uh table reads uh between (laughs) (laughs) jennifer lean and uh jerry ryan but i guess you know what that might be kind of a great opportunity for you and i to kind of talk about the big difference like what is better the early era voyager with Kess, or the later stuff with seven of nine and you know, we can pose some interesting questions with that, right? What would have been better? Maybe they should have kept them both. That could have been interesting. And I feel like if even if it's not a great episode, you got your wish. You're definitely going to have lots of stuff to talk about. <laughs> it would have been funny if they'd had Jerry Ryan and Jennifer Leon sit next to each other at the, like, table reading and whatnot. <laughs> and they put out the name tags and they're right beside each other. Jennifer Leon walks in like, are you serious, guys? Honestly, you couldn't have put me beside Garrett Wang. Like, come on. Maybe there's some story that we'll have to unearth. I feel like this one, there will definitely be some background dirt that we can dig up, which I'm very much looking forward. We'll get our shovels out. Get our shovels. We're going to have lots. We're going to have all the gossip uh, in two weeks time (laughs) when we return on Random Trek Review for the Voyager episode. Fury. So long, folks. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer, list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for Open Channel, a Star Trek community podcast. And it was a very Star Trek way to deal with that type of internal conflict, too. Mm-hmm, you know, I really loved that. She's working it out with her holographic self. And it was also very Jungian, like her subconscious, mm-hmm. her unconscious was becoming conscious. And it was actually her that was that was talking, the actual Mariner that was having the realizations as she was talking to the holographic character, which I thought was really cool. Loading Hollow Sweet Preview Program for The Janeway, a Star Trek Voyager podcast. Before that timepiece stopped working. Mm-hmm, that really because ugly, he saw it in the shop window. That really ugly timepiece. When I first watched it, I thought, okay, yes, this is a clock that maybe somebody puts on their desk or mm-hmm. on a wall somewhere. But later we see somebody pull the same thing out of their pocket. Do they not have watches? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like one of those like huge clunky mobile phones that all they ever did was like call people. It's like, nope, this is just a big clock for my pocket. It's something that Flavor Flav should be wearing around his neck. It's that big and obnoxious. Is that a clock in your pocket, or are you just happy to see me? <laughs> oh, no, no, it's it's just a clock. It's most definitely a clock. <laughs> Loading Sweet Preview Program for What the Future Holds, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Because we all kind of have that, really. We all have this unconscious part of ourselves that comes to the forefront and says nope Mm -hmm. yeah we have an 
adrenal response, and so is it similar to that? I mean, are there kelpians that have stage fright, and so the little ganglia will come up if they have to do public speaking? <laughs> it's, it's like probably plays. We just don't know. Yeah. yeah, if they if they had plays, <laughs> it didn't seem like they really had yeah. that kind of entertainment down on Kaminar. Computer, deactivate Holosuite.